It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. What is good, everyone? It's Orlando. Welcome to KGW's 3-on-3 Blazers podcast. Here is a sample of what we are cooking up ahead. Fans back at the Moda Center. Home sweet home, baby. Well, kind of. We'll explain. Plus, Terry Stotts on the hot seat. And, of course, the playoff picture. All of a sudden, the Blazers playing for the fifth seed. The latest on the Mavericks, Lakers, and your Portland Trail Blazers. Let's start the show. What is good, everyone? It's Orlando with the KTW 3-on-3 podcast, joined as always by Jared Cowley and Max Barr. So good to be back, to see your guys' faces as we do this thing on Zoom from home. I hope you guys are doing well. Thank you guys so much for supporting the podcast. For everyone who has picked it up, subscribed, rated, reviewed, and shared with everyone, it means so much. And what a week it has been in Rip City. The Portland Trail Blazers winning five out of six on the road. Oh, has the narrative changed? All of a sudden, the fifth seed is in play. Who could have seen that coming after that five-game losing streak? But here we are as the Blazers are cooking. Guys, I want to get your reaction and your thoughts on how the team has played so far. Jared, what have you seen out of this team as they've made a push at the right time towards the playoffs? Yeah, they're in one of those uh, late-season second-half surges we've become accustomed to with this Blazers team. Um, I I did a little bit of number crunching to see just how well this team has been playing and what the – what the analytics look like. And I, I was uh, surprised. I, I wanted to kind of go back and look and see how well they've been playing during this winning streak or during the road trip. But also, like, we kind of talked last week about how, you know, they, they had the two blowout losses. And even before that, they were playing these competitive, close games against good teams, even though they were losing. So I wanted to see how this team has been performing, not only, you know, when they've been winning these games, but kind of over the past month or, or, or more. And, you know, during the six-game road trip when they were 5-1, and one, their offensive rating was number one in the league. And, you know, 126.8 points per 100 possessions, which is off the charts. Their defense ranks ninth. And that's the most encouraging thing. I mean, this team is getting after it defensively. So their net rating, they're outscoring teams by 16 points for 100 possessions. That ranks the number two in the league. But if you go back to April 13th, and if you remember, that was that first Celtics loss when they lost by one and kind of started that string of all those one-point and two-point losses. During Since then, they're only six and seven. So the record doesn't look great. But the offense has been humming. I mean, the, the offensive rating is number one in the NBA since, you know, that that date the defense ranks 20th so not quite you know you know where we want it to be where it's now in the top 10 but 
you know, an improvement over what we saw earlier in the season. And the net rating ranks sixth in the NBA. And then if you go even a little bit further back, and we go back, we've kind of talked about this date when, when Yusuf Nurkic returned, March 26th. You go all the way back then, the record's 11 and 11. Not great, 500. But the offensive rating since Nurk got back, number one in the NBA. The defensive rating ranks 17th. And if you remember the way we talked about it, this entire season, when Nurk got back, if the team could be a top five offense and be right in the middle of the league defensively, then they would be good enough to make some noise in the playoffs potentially. And that's what they've been since Nurk got back. And now they're looking even better on this road trip. You know, since Nurk got back, they rank sixth in net rating. So it's encouraging to me to see that this team, even though, you know, the record since Nurk got back is just 500, has been rounding into form and playing better and better as they've gone. And now they seem to be putting it together and beating good teams convincingly. And, you know, the, the data backs it up. The stats look really great. So it's been really encouraging to see how well this team has been playing. Yeah, and the other thing that has happened over these last four games is Damian Lillard is back. And Orlando, you called for it last week. You called for the slump buster against Brooklyn, and he, he busted out 32 points on 55% shooting. He followed that up with 26 points against Boston and 13 assists, although the shooting was a little bit down in that game. Then he turned up to heat, the heat again, 58% against the Hawks, albeit in a loss. 59% against Cleveland, and the three-pointers were falling in both those games. So I think Lillard raising his game at this point has been a key to the Blazers' resurgence as well. And you got to yeah. look again at, at Nurkic because he has really been playing even better lately. The team has been better with him on the court, but his stats over the past eight games, even before the road trip, are really good. 15.5 points per game, 12.1 rebounds, three assists a block and a half, almost a steal per game, shooting well from the field, 57%, you know, shooting pretty well from the free throw line, almost 70%. So you see Yusuf Nurkic really putting it all together at the right time. And I think that's why we've seen, you know, Lillard breaks out of his slump. Yusuf Nurkic playing his best basketball of the season, his best basketball in a long time. And the Blazers playing as well as they have all season for sure. You know who's really fired up right now is Yusuf Nurkic. You guys know why? Because fans are going to be back in the Moda Center for the first time. You guys know how we roll. Three questions, three answers, because there's three of us. Finally, the Blazers will play in front of fans at the Moda Center for the first time in more than a year, starting Friday against the Lakers. Almost 2,000 fans will be allowed inside the arena. What kind of an impact do you think that will have for the Blazers down this stretch, Mac? Well, Orlando, you've been inside the empty Moda Center this season and you are going to be in the building on Friday night again for the Lakers game. So I want to get your take on, on the difference that even a couple thousand fans could make in that environment. Oh, totally Max. Uh, when we were there for the preseason opener, I believe against Sacramento, I thought it was the coolest thing because you could hear everything down to the shoes squeaking on the hardwood. It was so cool. Um, really gave you an inside look that I had never experienced before in terms of just the way the players communicate on the court, um, how loud it is. Um, you see things and hear things so much clearly or, or clearer. So I thought that was really cool. But by the end of the season opener, uh, 
it just wasn't the same. It just doesn't have that, that same impact when you're watching it from my perspective. And even us chatting pre, I was wondering. Can I step in and ask a question really quick? Cause yeah, I, haven't, go for it. I haven't been in the arena during all of this. Um, do they pump the crowd noise in inside the arena? I mean, do the players hear what we hear on the broadcast or is that just added in on the broadcast a- a- alone? You, you do hear some crowd noise, but it's not at the extent that it is like watching it on TV. It's not, it's not the same. So it's not like dead silence in the arena, but it is, it is so clear what, what you're experiencing. Um, and so if you're really paying attention, you can make out a lot of, of what they're saying. And, uh, you know, I always look forward to a Carmelo Anthony rebound, as you guys are aware, uh, <laughs> by, by the way he, he does things. So, so yeah, um, there, there is, there, there's, there's no way to, to duplicate having human beings in the arena that are there to cheer or cheer against the team. And I was truly wondering how the players felt about it. And Damian Lillard was, was waxing poetic uh, during the, the last post-game interview uh, after they beat the snot out of the Cavs. And just hearing Dave, you know, describe the typical Blazers fan, for me, was really impressive because it shows that he pays attention to the stuff that's going on around him as well as, you know, the actual game. And so him, I thought he nailed it in terms of the, the typical Blazers fan and describing that fan and in being you know the one that doesn't think of themselves as too cool like when you go to certain arenas like you just know there's a there's a lot of corporate dudes that are there there's a lot of celebrities that that are there for the photo op or just to you know to, to have clout or status or whatever and when you go to Blazers games you have those fans that are there wearing the jerseys that have the the, you know, a beer in hand that are participating in, in all of the, the, you know, timeout festivities. And I thought that was cool that the Dame brought that up in terms of how much fans here care. And having every, essentially all of your, your main Blazers vocally say, like, how much they've wanted fans back. Like, we've talked about Yusuf Nurkic and the way that he has played. And there's also that whole other element of how long he's been waiting for this moment to have his, his comeback game, his, after suffering that gruesome injury and then working his way back, like that was one of the rewards that, that came along with it because of all of the fans and the way that they showed their love for Nurk when he was working his way back to health. Um, I know that he's been looking forward to this for, for so long. And I remember asking Nurk about this when they were going into the bubble and you know, how disappointed he was that he wouldn't have that opportunity. So, yeah, the players are grateful to be playing this game, obviously, that was taken away from them and to be able to do this at home. And now you've added that next layer of normalcy. And even though it's only going to be about 1,900 fans, 10%, uh, I I do truly believe it, it is significant. Dame even said it, you know, verbatim how significant it is for fans to be there to to watch them play. And Max, I know you're going to bring up a, a tweet that, that CJ had, man. What would you think um, when, when CJ pointed that out? Yeah, we saw these guys um, before the official announcement that fans would be allowed back 
came out, we saw them kind of show their frustration on Twitter about, you know, Portland being basically the only arena without a, a plan for fans to return. And CJ's tweet stood out to me. He said, wonder why we got a better record on the road. And I think that no matter if they're cheering for or against these guys, fans in the stands really make a difference because they raise the adrenaline a little bit. I mean, all three of us, we've all been in situations where there's a crowd watching. You know, we're by no means NBA level players or athletes, but just having that crowd atmosphere really just heightens everything a little bit. And I think that's to the extreme when we're talking about NBA basketball. So, I mean, Orlando, you brought up Nurkic. He's totally hyping himself up on Twitter. If he, anyone who hasn't checked out his Twitter feed in a, in a week or so, you should do that. Um, he was like one or two games away mm-hmm. when, the, when the league shut down all those years ago. You know, <laughs> So um, it's... I expect him to play very hard against the Lakers, but hopefully he can, you know, control that adrenaline and and it leads to a big game. It tripped me out, Max. Like when CJ tweeted that out, I had to go back and and look at the records just to, just to get a little more, you know, information there. And, you know, the Blazers being 16 and 16 at home, 21 and 13 on the road. I think only the Suns, have a better road record in the entire NBA, which is just, we've always known how much of a home court advantage the Moda Center has been, how well the Blazers have played at home. And I hate to say this, but it feels like we may have taken that for granted in terms of how important the fans are and the impact that fans can have on a game. Because we all know, we we hear it all the time, for players to be able to sleep in their own beds, to have their, their home cooked meals, to be around their family, to have those, you know, regular routine type of things. We understand how important that is for the players, but seeing those type of, of uh, records really blew my mind away. Like, man, this team is significantly better on the road. Jared, what do you think? Yeah, that road record's incredible. And it just makes you wonder if, if this had been a regular season, I mean, when I, I wonder if their road record is inflated at all because, you know, they're playing against some home teams that, de- you know, don't have fans in their arena or have, you know, a limited fan base in their arena. Um, but it's still a really impressive road record. And the Blazers have been such a good team at home um, this season. Like you said, they're 500. But if you go backwards year by year over the past five seasons, their home winning percentages remember this year it's 500 last year it was 583 the year before 780 that's a crazy home record the year before that 683 610 683 again so if portland had its normal home court advantage all season you know you'd think that they'd probably have a similar home record as they've had in years past i mean they have a track record the average of those five seasons is 668 if that was portland's home winning percentage this season they'd be 21 and 11 at home this season. That's a five-game swing. If the Blazers had five more wins right now, they wouldn't be competing to for fifth or sixth in the West. They'd be a game behind the Clippers for home court advantage. I mean, that's how much of a difference this makes. Uh, I was reading this, this story by Paolo Ugetti of The Ringer. He wrote back in February about how much fans or lack thereof are affecting NBA games this season. And the teams that have had you know, fans in the arena from the beginning 
have had a big advantage. You know, across the NBA, home winning percentage is down this season, but it's been far worse for teams that haven't had any fans in the stands. And if you look at one team, the Utah Jazz, who have had fans from day one, you know, they started the season with 1,900 fans in their building, and they've increased it to 4,000 plus. And their home record is 29 and four, better than any other team in the NBA, and it's not really that close. Now, the Jazz are a super good team, but it's undeniable that they've enjoyed an advantage having fans in the stands that not a lot of other teams, including the Blazers, have had the whole season. And so now we get to see what kind of an impact it'll have. And yes, it's coming very late in the season. The Blazers only have four home games left. But I think if you look at, they play the Lakers, the Spurs, the Rockets, and the Nuggets in their last four home games, bringing fans into the stands, I think Portland has a really good chance of sweeping their final four home games because of that extra energy, because one, they've been playing really well. You know, if you're a bad team and home court advantage doesn't matter, but if you're a good team, then that can make a big difference. So it restores bringing these fans back. It restores a little bit of that home court advantage that has been so important to the Blazers over the years. And I think that if you look now at their road record and how good it is, that's a plus. Second best road record in the NBA, like you said, Orlando, behind the Suns. That's something positive to think about when it comes to the playoffs because the Blazers are going to open on the road. So we know they're a good road team. They're going to get fans back in the arena, get that home court advantage back. Maybe gives you some hope that maybe they can do something in a first round series where they're going to start on the road. But I'm happy for Nurkic to finally get, you know, his standing ovation from the fans. I'm happy for all the players to be able to play in front of the fans. And you know how important that is for them. And I'm happy for fans. I mean, I wish, I wish the arena could be full. It can't right now, and we understand that, and that's, that's the right decision. But for the fans that can go back and be in that arena, for us to be able to watch the game and hear real fan noise, I, I'm just happy for everyone. I mean, I think this is really exciting. It's, it's wonderful news. And from a, you know, just for those that are, are wondering, if, if you're a season ticket holder and you're a longtime season ticket holder, you're going to have priority and have probably already received an email from the Trailblazers. And that's kind of how they're doing it. I, I sent a, an email to the, the PR team there to, to get a little more information. And they didn't tell me that, that they're sold out, but that's because they're doing it throughout the day. So they're sending these emails out, you know, based on their priority, you know, seating and giving them the opportunity to buy them. And then they move along to the next one and then they move along to the next one. So if it happens to get through the day, which I highly doubt, I've got to imagine this is going to be one of the hottest tickets in Portland Trailblazers history, or at least since, you know, they were making deep runs in the playoffs on a consistent basis. But in terms of the demand and trying to get these 1900 or so tickets is going to be tough to do if you're part of the general public but if for some reason it does get there um, you would have that opportunity on Friday morning so just a little bit of, of an FYI but but yeah guys I it's gonna be so cool uh, just a lot of the, the little things I'm looking forward to and in, in saying hello to ushers to seeing people walk in and out of the the building like a lot of the small talk that we have um, I've, I've truly missed that and uh, it's been a, a really long time because every time I've gone to a game, you know, whether that's college football or, or whatever, 
it's never involved people. It's always, you know, either the media or no one really, you know, so that's one of the things that, that is just, I've been craving for, for quite a while. It's just that, that another step towards normalcy. So this is such a, a huge deal on, on top of the, the fact that this is a significant game in the playoff race for the trailblazers as you know, they're, they're basically a half game behind the Lakers and Mavericks and this would be for the tiebreaker with the Lakers. So there's just a, a lot on the line here. And we're seeing um, multiple reports here saying that LeBron James uh, likely not going to play in this game against the Blazers and probably won't be available for the Lakers until later down the road. So we'll get to more of the, the playoff race in a minute, but just tying all this together and putting a bow on this topic because really fired up about it. And I'm looking forward to, to being in the building. So Make sure to follow me on Twitter and uh, check us out on KGW because we're going to have a, a lot of stuff coming throughout the day, kgw.com as well. So let's keep it moving, guys. Question number two, a report by uh, Sham Sharania and Sam Amick of The Athletic. They confirmed what many of us have been thinking and have been talking about for quite some time. Terry Stotts is likely done in Portland after this season. What's your reaction to the news that the Blazers are, quote, increasingly expected to part ways with Stotts after the season, barring a, quote, playoff miracle? I mean, it's not surprising. We've seen reporting on this already, and it seems like the writing, we've talked about it on this podcast. We've tried not to talk about it too much, didn't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but the writing's been on the wall for a while now. I think Sharani and Amick both couch to report a bit putting in there that he'd likely be gone barring a playoff miracle so the question I have you know first is what constitutes a playoff miracle how far would the Blazers need to go in the playoffs to save Stott's job I, I think it's the Western Conference Finals I don't think even a second round appearance would be enough for the Blazers to keep him so I just wanted to know what throw it back to you guys real quick before we talk more in depth about this but what do you guys think? I mean, what's a playoff miracle that would save Stott's job? Uh, depends. I, I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'd have to see who they, you know, if they survive the, the play-in or if they avoid the play-in, who do they play? If they win, how do they beat them? I, I think just there's so much up in the air right now. Um, I guess it would be, to me, a miracle at this point would be the NBA Finals. That would be a miracle. Western Conference Finals, things break right. You never who, know who could get injured. Things can happen. But I don't know. Too, too many uh, things are up in the air right now. What do you think, Orlando? Yeah, I, I agree with you. You hit the nail on the head. That's When I think of the definition of a playoff miracle for the Blazers, I think the NBA Finals. But I think a Western Conference Finals appearance, like Jared mentioned, would save Stott's job in my mind, if these reports are accurate. And uh, that's, that's where I would put the bar. We've talked about playoff success and expectations and how they've changed around this team and how this team has embraced those expectations. I think that's where it is. Uh, basically getting the furthest that Terry Stotts has taken this team in his nine seasons as the head coach of the Trailblazers. I think he's got to do it again. The Blazers have to put together one of those special runs and rally behind their coach. If that doesn't happen, I, I do think it's going to be tough for 
Terry to keep his job, even if they get out of the first round. But um, one thing that we've said, and I've said specifically for quite some time has been, they, they have to get out of the first round. Like before we can even have a discussion, if, if he doesn't get out of the first round, changes are coming. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. Um, I think if he got to the Western conference finals, then you could kind of look at this season and all of the extenuating circumstances, the, the strangeness of the pandemic and how that's impacted, you know, not being able to play in front of fans, the injuries. But I think that those excuses only matter, you know, when it comes to Stott's job security, if they get that far in the playoffs. I think anything other than that, I think that the front office probably just feels it's time to, to move on. I, I like Terry Stotts a lot. I think he's a good coach, and I think he's done well in Portland. There aren't a lot of teams in the NBA who have had this level of sustained success for this long, seven straight seasons in the playoffs. But you also have to look at what the front office and the fan base expects from this team, and it's more than that. Stotts and the team haven't lived up to expectations. In those seven playoff appearances, the Blazers have been to the conference finals just once, like we talked about, and they got swept. They've had two first-round sweeps. They lost another first-round series in five games. The other two times that they did make it to the second round, they were knocked out in five games both times. The thing is, when you have a player like Damian Lillard, who's a top-ten player in the NBA, the expectation is higher. Nine seasons is a really long time for a coach to, to be with one team in the NBA. And so if it's time to get a new voice in that locker room, if it's time to bring in someone that can take the Blazers to the next level, if that's the thinking behind this, then that makes sense. My question, though, is whether that is possible. I think you can make the argument that Stotts has done the best he can with the rosters he's had. Dame hasn't had an all-star teammate since LaMarcus Aldridge. As much as we love C.J. McCollum and Yusuf Nurkic, neither of them have ever been close to being an all-star. You can make the case that maybe McCollum is an all-star caliber player, but if you look at the teams the Blazers have lost to in the playoffs, almost without exception, they've always been more talented than the Blazers. Damian Lillard in some of those series may have been the most talented player on the court, but the teams they lost to were better than the Blazers, had more talent on their rosters. So can another coach come in and then take this team to new heights if the roster doesn't change? Is this roster capable of meaningful change as long as Neil O'Shea is still calling the shots? I think those are questions as well that we need to ask this offseason if the Blazers come up short again. Um, I want to throw it back to you so I don't talk for too long here just about what you think about the, the report about Stotts losing his job and, and how you feel about that, that prospect. And then I do want to come back after that and talk about the list of candidates that both Sharani and Amick reported that the Blazers might look to if they let Stotts go. But uh, first, what are your guys' thoughts on the, the report itself about Stotts' job security? I mean, I agree with almost everything you said, Jared. I, I would just add that, you know, if the Blazers lose quickly in the playoffs and Stotts loses his job, I, I'm not going to blame anybody for the decision. I think sometimes change is a good thing and it, and it can be healthy. But, you know, I'd, I'd, I question whether an upgrade is possible. Like you, like you alluded to, I don't know, based on this report that's out there, I'm not sure it is, but I, I think we should just let it all play out, see what happens. 
and then go from there. There's no need to just take his job away now. You know, let's see what happens. Yeah, it it sucks. I hate talking about, you know, anyone losing their job. You know, uh, that's that's the bummer. And I know that for head coaches, that's what they sign up for. You know that they're basically the fall guy. Like, they're the first person to go when things don't go the way you want them to. And so that's where, where Terry Stotts finds himself. Um, and he, he's also one of the, the greatest coaches in franchise history as well. So we're not just dealing with a, a guy that has been here for a couple of years and, you know, whatever. Like, this is a, a legit head coach. And uh, I think the, the, the toughest part I have with this topic is how absolute people can be in talking about the problems that have faced this team and that it is, you know, all Terry Stott's fault. It is all, you know, Neil O'Shea's fault. It is all someone's fault. Because when you look at this team and the way that we've talked about this team for a long time, there are a number of reasons why this team is, is in this position. And, you know, some of them are, are legit when it comes to injuries. Uh, the way that this team has had so much bad luck with untimely injuries is, is such a bummer because you didn't get that opportunity to see this team play at a peak level for an extended period of time. Now we're starting to get a taste of it, but it may, have been, it may be too late. So let's, let's see, like Max said, how this all plays out. But that's, that's the one thing that, that is a, a bummer about all of this is that it's not just one thing. It's not just one reason why we got here. And, and Jared, I think you hit the nail on the head with asking that question is how talented is this team? And, and, and what, how talented can the, how good can this team be with this talent in front of it? Even going back to the beginning of the year when we talked about the potential of this team. I, I don't re recall any of us ever saying this is a championship team. And even though that's the expectation for the team and for, you know, a lot of fans around, realistically, none of us ever thought that this was a championship team. It was, let's see if we can get to the next step. Let's see if they can get closer. So that's what, that's what it all boils down to for this season, for Terry Stott's job, for changes within the organization is – how far will they get in the playoffs this year? Yeah, I do want to bring up the candidates that, that were reported in this story. Um, they mentioned the Lakers assistant, Jason Kidd, the Hawks interim coach and former Blazers head coach, Nate McMillan, Philadelphia 76ers assistant, Dave, is it Yerger? They say that right? I think so, yeah. I think so, yeah. L.A. Clippers assistant Chauncey Billups and San Antonio Spurs vice president of basketball operations, Brent Berry. So yesterday when I saw that list, I was underwhelmed right off the bat. I crunched the numbers and put this on Twitter yesterday, but kids winning percentage as a head coach is 421. His playoff winning percentage is 444. McMillan, you know, it's 534 winning percentage over his career, but in the playoffs, 357. Uh, Jurger is 499 over his career, 9 and 13 in the playoffs. Phillips and Barry both have not been head coaches in the NBA. You, for context, Stott's career coaching record, you know, it's 514. That's his winning percentage. 
his playoff record, 344. So, yeah, Stotts, you know, looks about the same as, as some of these, you know, coaches, you know, similar maybe to Nate McMillan as far as success. So that's my question. I mean, maybe the Blazers just want a different voice, a different philosophy, more attention to defense, um, something along those lines, and that's all good and well. But none of those candidates inspire a lot of confidence in me that the end result is going to be that much different. If you want to, you know, coach who can, you know, lead this team to to a lot of regular season wins, you know, competing for home court in the playoffs and then lose in the playoffs, that's what they have right now, and that's what I think you'd get with any of those candidates. So it's just kind of the grass is always greener philosophy. I mean, you fire Stotts because you think it's going to make a, a big difference and lead this team down a championship road. I just don't know if that's possible. And so um, with Stotts, I also don't like to talk about, you know, people losing their jobs, but I do believe that if the Blazers and Stotts decide to part ways, I do think it will be somewhat amicable the way it happens. And I think Stotts will be a head coach in the NBA again very soon because he is well-respected across the NBA. He is considered a, a very good head coach. And I think that, you know, he'll be back, you know, as the head coach of a team very soon. Yeah. And that, I, I think you bring up a, a good point in terms of like how the breakup probably will go. Um, that seems like the way it would go down if this is Stott's last season um, with, with the team. But uh, yeah, the, the relationships that he's built with, with the players, with the organization, um, the respect that, that they all have for him. Um, this has kind of been a, a package deal for my entire time that I've been here in Portland. So to see them all, all together and to, to see this kind of be, be the end of the road, um, is is definitely is super interesting, and let's see. Maybe maybe that is what it takes is is a just fresh voice, a new voice, um, a, a different perspective, and maybe one of these candidates bring that to the table. Uh, but the one thing that kind of caught me off guard by the report was, you know, them mentioning that they wanted like a a big name, you know, big money type of candidate, and then those are the names that we got. And I don't, you know, it's no disrespect to, to the names that are on there. It's just didn't quite uh, flow. So the whole coaching search, I think will be quite the topic over the next, you know, few months, if this in fact does go down. Yeah. I think the best um, road to success, a recent model for me would be Nick Nurse, a guy who was just kind of, not well known. I had no idea who he was when he was hired to coach the Raptors. He leads them to a championship. And now his assistants are being plucked for other coaching jobs, like Nate Bjorkren at Indiana. Now that might come to an end pretty quick, but that's kind of what teams are going for. So I think that would be the Blazers' best shot, like with the most upside, should that situation present itself. But a lot of games to be played between now and then. Let's see what happens. All right, guys, let's move on to question number three. The past few weeks, we've talked about the playoff race between the Blazers and Mavericks for the sixth seed. Now we can expand it to include the Lakers and the race for the fifth seed as well. Let's look at the remaining schedules for those three teams. 
How do you think those three teams will finish? All right, guys. So here's where we stand as of Thursday afternoon. Like you said, Orlando, the Blazers are seventh in the West. They're a half game behind the Mavericks and the Lakers. Blazers' next four games, they've got the Lakers and the Spurs in a home back-to-back, followed by a home game against the tanking Houston Rockets on Monday and a road game in Utah on Wednesday. If the Blazers beat the Lakers on Friday night, they hold the tiebreaker between the two teams. That's big. Remember, the Blazers, they also have a tiebreaker over Dallas already. And keep an eye on the Spurs for some possible resting against the Blazers on Saturday. They play the Kings in Sacramento the night before, so something to monitor there. Lakers' next four games, they're against the Clippers Thursday night. That's a huge game. Got the Blazers Friday, then home for Phoenix and home for the New York Knicks. While the Mavericks play the Nets on Thursday night, followed by a home game and a road game against Cleveland and then a road game against the Grizzlies. You guys think the Blazers can catch either of these teams in the next four games? Yes, I do. All right. But not the Mavericks. I think that if you look at this, um, the Blazers have the fourth hardest remaining schedule, according to Tankathon. The Lakers, the 11th hardest. The Mavericks have the fourth easiest. I mean, their schedule is just super easy down the stretch. Um, I think that they may lose to the Nets. Um, but then from there, I mean, it's hard to see many losses left on their schedule. I mean, they should beat the Cavaliers both times. and They'll probably beat the Grizzlies too, though I expect that game to be competitive. But the Blazers, I haven't beaten the Lakers on Friday, you know, in front of fans for the first time. You know, how well that they're playing, how poorly the Lakers are playing. No LeBron James. Um, so I have them winning that game. I have them beating the Spurs and the Rockets. And then uh, right now I have them losing to the Jazz, but there's so much, you know, the Blazers' final three games against the Jazz, the Suns, and the Nuggets. There's so much up in the air about where those teams are going to be in the standings and whether they'll be playing to win at that point or, or whether they'll have kind of where they want to be in the standings and the seedings wrapped up so they'll be resting players. And we won't really know more about that until we get closer to those games because right now, you know, the Jazz lead the Suns by one game first and second in the West. And then the Nuggets, uh, the Suns lead the Nuggets by three games, but the Nuggets and Clippers are tied right now for third and fourth. So there's a possibility that they're going to be playing to win till the end, that those you know standings are going to remain tight, but we'll know more about that then. So, you know, I have the, over the next four games, you know, the next five games for the Mavericks, I have them going three and two. I have them losing to the Nets, beating the Cavaliers twice and the Grizzlies and then losing to the Pelicans. And then I have the Lakers losing four in a row against, I am losing tonight to the Clippers, losing to the Blazers, losing to the Suns, and then losing to the Knicks. Then I have them beating the Rockets uh, on Wednesday. And then I have the Blazers winning their next three and losing to the Jazz. So yeah, I think that, uh, I think the Blazers can catch the Lakers. I don't think they can catch the Mavericks. So um, if you're looking at it, I mean, I've predicted out through the end of the season, Blazers four and two, their final six games. Lakers two and five, their final seven. And the Mavericks five and two, their final seven. So I have the Mavericks finishing in fifth, the Blazers in sixth, and the Lakers in seventh. But we'll do this again next week. At that point, we'll kind of know all t- all three g- teams will have two games left. We'll have a better idea of where they stand. They probably have to run the, the table to, catch to the get Mavericks. that five seed. I think yeah, so. to get that five seed. 
maybe they lose a game and they they catch a break somewhere where the where the Mavs stumble or take a night off or or whatever. That's that's probably what it's going to take for that five seed. I thought I thought all along they they'd be the six seed, but I thought they would catch the Mavericks to be the six seed. So it's kind of a give and take there on on the prediction front, but that's probably where the Trailblazers end up is that six seed, and and really that's. That's what they care about is just getting getting that extra week of rest, getting that that time off their feet where these guys can get right. And they, to their credit, have have put themselves in that that position. And so that's what makes this this Lakers game so interesting on Friday at the Moda Center. Um, but yeah, I, I'm with you. If you're the Lakers, I've got to imagine the only thing they care about is just LeBron getting healthy and being right because. If you've got a healthy LeBron and, and a you know what healthy Lakers team, uh, you feel confident in whoever you're playing. Yeah, you you want the the path of least resistance, but at the end of the day, this is still the Lakers with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And if they are okay, you feel pretty darn good that they can go into anyone's place and win on the road and, and get to the finals that way. So if so, I I say all that to say I think the Lakers are, are more than likely going to lose a lot more games because their biggest concern is resting LeBron and, and making sure he's okay for the playoffs. And they're not only without LeBron. I mean, Dennis Schroeder's out the rest of the season, regular season, mm-hmm. isn't he? Health and so, safety protocols, yeah. yeah. Seems yeah. like he tested positive, but we don't know for sure. I think, Ando, you said if, if LeBron and Anthony Davis are okay, I think that's the best they're going to be is okay. Yeah. I think yeah. LeBron came back from his high ankle sprain too soon. He aggravated it. He's out again. This is gonna. This is a long-term injury. I've never personally had a high ankle sprain, but I know people who have. I have family members who have, and it's it affects them for a long, long time. I, and you know, he's he's not getting any younger, and this is gonna be with him throughout the playoffs. I, I that being said, I'm scared of the Lakers on Friday night. I think. Uh, I think they can absolutely go in to the Moda Center and beat the Blazers. Uh, they've been their defense has been really good even without their stars. You know, Schroeder has been a, has been has really picked it up when those guys have been gone, and he's going to be out, so that hurts them. They've got some other injuries too. Uh, I think like Caruso is basically like their last guard standing besides Caldwell Pope, so it's going to be a lot of Kuzma, a lot of Davis, Drummond. I don't think it's a gimme. I'll just put it that way. I don't think Friday night's game is a gimme, and um, you know, I'm hopeful, but they could, I could definitely see the Blazers losing that game. As for the rest of those games, I like them over the Spurs. I like them over the Rockets. Utah's tough. That's probably a loss, but I, I mean, the five seed is within reach. Like they, they can do this, and so I, the, with the way they're playing, I mean, it's. I, it's time to just seize the opportunity, keep it rolling, and and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, they, they have to take care of business. Um, they've got to win at least – they have to go at least 5-1 and one and probably 6-0 and oh because I don't think they're going to get that much help from the Mavs. I mean, maybe the Mavs have been up and down, although they were I – th- I thought they were really good this past week. But, I mean, that last – I mean, they might lose to the Nets tonight, but then you've got – two games against the Cavs, the Grizzlies, the Pelicans, the Raptors, and the Timberwolves. Like, I mean, some of those games should be competitive. They could drop some of them, but the Mavs have been p- playing pretty well lately. So 
Well, they lost to the Kings three times this month. <laughs> I know they did. And those but... are like the Kings' only wins. <laughs> yeah, you so, know. So I mean, I don't. I don't think you can put down in pen that the Cavs that the Mavericks are going to beat the Cavs twice. I don't think you can put that in pen. You're right. I think the, I think the Cavs can get one of those. The Timberwolves, they're playing a lot better. They are. Their their new coach has got them playing well, and I do have them you know. losing to the Pelicans. I think the Pelicans can rise up and beat anyone. Um, on any given night. Yeah. Well, it's, it's tough. I mean, they, they did play the, <laughs> that Kings loss every, I mean, they, <laughs> which one <laughs> yeah, they've won what here? Uh, seven of nine. And the only two losses are to the Kings. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and they beat the Warriors by 30. They beat the Pistons and the Wizards. Uh, who cares about the Pistons? The Wizards were playing really well. They beat them by one. And then they just, man, they trounced the heat. I think that was the game where it was really, I was like, oh, man, maybe Dallas is figuring it out too. But Yeah. And like you said, the the final three games on the Blazers' schedule, like we have no right. idea how how those games are going to be played, who's going to be on the court for those games. So there's there's still a lot to figure out. But there is a path, like Max yep. said. I think there's a there's a lo- reason to be optimistic and, and to be hopeful. I mean, especially uh, to th- to think about them not being in the play-in, which like the ultimate, like the big the big thing for them. Yeah. I know matchups will be important, and we can talk about that as as things start to clear up. But uh, to just have that time off, to get a little more practice time, whatever the the Blazers need, like that is going to be huge for them. And I know that CJ openly has mentioned this in multiple press conferences over the past like couple of weeks has just been how important it is to at six seed for rest purposes. Yes. No days off for the one and only Max Barr. <laughs> it's that time. Guys, it is great to be back with another week of Rip It. So on our last episode, Orlando and our guest player, Edmund Dantes, tied three out of five correct answers. It was a fun one. Reminder to the listeners out there, if you want to join the game, all you have to do, tweet us your answers. We are Jared Cowley, Orlando KGW, and Max N. Barr on Twitter. And it's really been a lot of fun to have our listeners join the game as the Blazers make the push to the playoffs. We want to keep it going as long as we can. So get us those answers as soon as you can. And this week, our guest player is Adam Schwend of Tillamook, Oregon. Adam, welcome to Rip It. Jared is applauding you. (laughs) Let's find out how you guys did with your picks last week. And we are going back to the game against the Brooklyn Nets. And the question was, who will score the most points in this game? Kevin Durant, Damian Lillard, or Kyrie Irving? Jared is shaking his head because he picked Kevin Durant, who did not play in the game. (laughs) Right out of the gate, Jared. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah. DNP rest for Durant. Orlando, you picked Damian Lillard. Because you, I feel like I know he's playing in the game. 
And our guest player, Adam, also picked Damian Lillard. And you guys were both correct. Damian Lillard scored 32 points. The slump buster, Kyrie Irving, 28 points. So it was pretty close. Blazers at Celtics. Question was, which player will finish with the most rebounds between Robert Covington, Robert Williams, or Jason Tatum? Jared, you went with the all-star, Jason Tatum. Orlando and Adam engage the Covington rule. Mm. Covington with four boards in the game. Robert Williams, the Time Lord, had five. Oh. Tatum with come on, two. Tatum. Oh, come on. <laughs> two rebounds. Nobody got it. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Well, I think that's two the first rebounds. Covington loss. That, it might be the first Covington loss ever. Is that possible? <laughs> Streak is over. Man. It was a good run for Rocco, for the Rocco rule, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. All right, was. Blazers at Hawks. The question was, who will make the, who will make more three-pointers, CJ McCollum or Bogdan Bogdanovich? Oof. All three of you guys went with Christian James McCollum, but it was Bogdan. Yeah, he had a big game. Seven of 14 from three, lit up the Blazers. CJ just two of seven. So nobody got that one right. Mm. When we're wrong, we're wrong. Yeah, so, I am pitching a shutout. This is fun. <laughs> no, no. There's still hope, no, Jared. There's still hope. No, you're not pitching a shutout. You're getting shut out. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> there's a difference. But there's time to turn it around. So let's go Blazers at Cavs. The question was, how many players on the Cavs will score in double figures? Jared, you said four. Orlando, you said, let's have some fun here. I'm going six. And our guest player, Adam, also said four. So in this game, we had Kevin Love put in 18 points. Chetty Osman with 14. Colin Sexton, 15 points. Dean Wade, not Dwayne Wade, Dean Wade with 16 points. And that's it. Four. (laughs) Four is on the board. Four is a magic number with with this question. Jared and Adam nailed that one. So Adam has a shot all, at the win here. He does. It all comes down to the wild card question, which was, which team will Damian Lillard make the most three-pointers against? The Nets, Celtics, Hawks, or Cavs? Jared, you said the Celtics. Orlando, you picked the Nets. And Adam went with the Hawks. Lillard, in the slump buster game, eight three-pointers against the Brooklyn Nets, three against Boston, six against Atlanta, and six against Cleveland, which means Orlando once again hits the wild card question in clutch time to force a tie with our guest player, Adam, at two out of five correct answers on the week. Our second straight tie. Strong showing from Adam. Thanks for playing. Orlando, your thoughts? Sorry, Adam. I had to do it to you, man. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't let you come into our house and, and win. Again, oh. rip it. That was, it was close. It was close. I was getting nervous there. I thought Adam was going was gonna to steal the crown. But, uh, no, it's, it's fun. I, I really enjoy this, this element of, of rip. So, shout out to Adam for participating. Uh, it's fun, fun to get that. And, and Jared, I'm, I'm glad that you avoided the shutout, man. Yeah. Glad you avoided the shutout. Yeah, me too. One out of five for Jared, by the way. <laughs> Yippee. 
So <laughs> I think we should come up with a uh, a way to to do a tiebreaker for Rip It. What are you it, proposing here? I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, I think that's something we should think about. You know, I don't mind us having these ties, but it, we get these ties so often, especially since we're inviting people into the game. Now I want them to have a chance at, at the sweet victory of Rip It. So kind of like when you're doing like a March Madness bracket, and if you tie, you, you've got that tiebreaker with the final score at the end. I don't know what we do, but I think we should give it some thought. Okay. I'll, I will consult the Rip It competition committee. Awesome. <laughs> in our in our semi-annual meeting, and we will get back to you. <laughs> but no, it's a good point. It's a good or, point. But or I'm just I would a argue, <laughs> Well, I would argue that. I would also argue that that's what makes the victory so sweet. That is true. They is are the rare. Scarcity, the scarcity of it all. So, Adam, thank you again for playing, and we look forward to our next guest player with these questions. Let's get to it. Blazers versus Lakers. Who will grab the most rebounds in this game? Anthony Davis, Yusuf Nurkic, or Andre Drummond? I'll take Davis. Mm, give me Drummond. All right. No one going with the Bosnian beast in his first game in front of fans. Very interesting. Blazers versus Spurs. Over or under 29 and a half points for Damian Lillard? Got to write that the hot hand, right? Is I'll he going to get over. 30? You going over? Yeah. All right, I'll go under. <laughs> okay. Blazers versus the Tankers. I mean the Rockets. Over <laughs> or under two and a half three-pointers for Anthony Simons. Oh. Will he make three three-pointers in this game? I will go with the over. Jared I'll says do, yes. I'll, I'll join you, Jared. Let's go over. Let's oh. do this. I like it. Blazers at the Jazz. Which total will be greater? Three-pointers made by Robert Covington or blocked shots by Rudy Gobert? I'm intrigued. Yeah, Covington's <laughs> so hit and miss sometimes on threes. Is the Covington rule dead? Oh, this is a pivotal moment in, in Rippet history here with the Covington rule. <laughs> See, I've never abided by the Covington rule, and now that it's broken, do I, do I hop on now? <laughs> no, nah, I'm going to go with, I'm gonna go with uh, Gobert. I'm going with the blocks. All right, this is, uh, this is Covington's last stand here. <laughs> Ron <right>. Covington, Roco. <laughs> All right. And that brings us to the wild card question of the week, and we are going back to the Lakers showdown. Which quarter in the Lakers game will be the Blazers' highest scoring quarter? First quarter. <laughs> uh, let's... Let's go, let's go against the grain here, historically. I'll say the third quarter. <laughs> okay. They've, they've been better in the third quarter of the season, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Halftime adjustments, we will see. All right, guys. Another fun week of Rip It. We will find out how you did next week. As always, guys, this was a, a lot of fun. 
I say we, we do it again next week. Let's, let's run it back. Um, shout out to everyone who has picked up the podcast, who has subscribed, who shared and let others know about it. The positive reviews, it really helps us out. We appreciate you. Thank you so much for rocking with us. We will see you guys next week better than ever. See ya.